Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's not often when one person plays for an historic program, wins multiple awards on a talent-laden team, and is part of a legendary matchup under a decorated coach. We have that player right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody and we're taking down the field for a touchdown. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Chris Smith. One of the most storied programs in all of college football is the University of Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish boasts seven Heisman Trophy winners, 195 first-team All-Americans, a whopping 47 college football Hall of Famers, including six Hall of Fame coaches and 11 national championships. Amazingly, one player was part of all that history and a member of the last national championship team at Notre Dame. I'm excited to have this special guest on the show, Chris Zorich, defensive tackle for the University of Notre Dame, winner of the UPI Lineman of the Year, two-time consensus All-American Lombardi Award winner, Orange Bowl defensive MVP, a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, and to Walter Camp, all-time All-American team. And let me tell you, I've had a chance to meet Chris, and he's even one of the nicest guys, too. Thanks for joining me, Chris. <laughs> I appreciate that, Chris. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, well, wow, that, that's quite a list of achievements on the field. Which one honor are you most proud of? Uh, wow. Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm all about the team. So for me, it was uh, having a chance for a national championship in 1988. And, you know, it's one of those things where we were – so Lou Holtz was my coach when, when I was at the University of Notre Dame. And, you know, he, he had taken, I was a second recruiting class. He had taken over for uh, uh, Jerry Faust and they had actually previously been beaten by Miami, like 58 to seven or something like that. And so we had a very, very important game um, halfway through the season where we actually played Miami. So the last time they played us, they beat us 58 to seven. And then we have a chance to actually play them in 88 and that whole year was just an amazing year and we honestly thought we were going to win like four more national championships <laughs> and, and and that's really one of the things that I, I the one thing i regret is not having a chance to kind of enjoy it in the moment but we just assumed that we were just going to win four so it's just like hey this is just another tuesday for us but i would have to say as an old man now winning the national championship was a great honor all right, well, well, let's let's rewind a little bit. Let's start at your time at uh, Chicago Vocational, and you never played organized football up to that point. What made you uh, want to put on the pads? Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, so I grew up kind of in a rough neighborhood, a lot of gangs, a lot of violence, and everything. And so um, I stayed out. I actually stayed in the house a lot. Um, I went to our local library, and I mean, I'd go out sometimes and have fun, but it was there was never any organized programs, and I had a buddy who went to Chicago Vocational High School. And so I, I went there to kind of be with him, kind of hang out with him. And ironically, it was the same high school that Dick Buckus went to. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this, there's a lot of history at this yeah, high school. Some legends there. 
now, now I was a bear fan, but I was never, I mean, I, I never played organized, organized sports. So the high school football coach, and, and, and I was about six, one, about 225 pounds as a freshman. It was all baby fat though. Right. So, you know, <laughs> I was a little fat kid walking around the school and the high school football coach comes up and he goes, who are you? I was like, well, my name's Chris. He's like, are you a student here? I was like, yeah. He's like, I don't believe you. Show me your ID. So I just show him my ID. He was like, why aren't you on my football team? I was like, I don't know. So he 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 ushered me downstairs in his basement in, in the um in his basement office and gave me a permission slip and said, Hey, you know, have your parents sign this because you have to play football for me. I was like, Okay. So I went home, asked my mom, she said no. Oh. And I was like, What do you mean? She said her exact words were, I do not want my little baby getting hurt. Now, I was six one, two twenty five, all baby fat. But I was probably one of the biggest kids in the school. Sure. My mom wouldn't let me play at all. So I had to go back and explain that to my high school football to the high school football coach, and he was really upset with me. But what I did was I hung around with a lot of guys on the team. And like when they would go to practice, you know, I'd come home, but like hanging out in school with them, you know, I'd kind of spend time with them. And I love the fact that, you know, these guys are positive guys. They had goals every week to win a game. I worked out with them. So my second year rolls around my sophomore year. And I, again, I begged my mom. She says, no. So I actually took the, the, the same permission slip and signed it myself Uh oh. And, and gave it to my coach. <laughs> and he was, he was head over heels and he was like, Oh, this is great. Your mom's a genius. Well, I'm like, Hey, this, that's fine. So about halfway through the season, you know, we, we, we didn't have like really nice lockers. So my, my clothes, I, I didn't wash my practice gear. So one time I took my stuff home to wash it and I forgot that it was in the kitchen where our washing machine was. Oh. And my mom saw it and, you know, she started crying. You've been lying to me. And, you know, and I explained to her that this is the first time I was involved with a, a group of positive men. You know, I mean, this is, this is something positive. And, you know, they set goals and, and they have a chance to kind of be around, I mean, be doing positive things and learning discipline and all this other stuff. And so she realized how passionate I was about it. And so she allowed me to play. Now, the funny thing is she never went to any of my games because she was so scared. But my senior year, my, the last game my senior year, my high school coach and another one of my teachers, uh, they were able to, to bring her to one of the, to my last game. And she watched the game with like her hands over her eyes. Yep. <laughs> so she was, she was terrified. And then afterwards she was like, wow, you're pretty good. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, mom, you know, I, I'm getting a scholarship to Notre Dame. Yeah. She's like, wow, you're really good. So it, it was just kind of fun. So that was kind of my, my introduction to football. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounded like a great influence and uh, you started getting noticed, like you said, at uh, uh, schools like Notre Dame, but what was your, re your recruiting like? Um, it, was, it was very interesting. I mean, it, you know, we had never, I'd never experienced anything like this before. And I, obviously no one in my family has. And, and I, I received, I remember this very vividly. I received an, uh, a letter from Ball State and they offered me a scholarship. And I called them back and was like, okay, I, I'll, I'll accept it. And they were like, huh? <laughs> and, and it was one of those, one of those generic letters that go out to like, you know, everybody they're interested in, right? Yeah. You know? And they were like, well, you might want to hold on a little bit because, you know, and it, basically he was saying, 
you might be a little better player than supposedly goes to Ball State. You know, you might want to hold off a little bit. And so I was like, well, you guys are offering scholarship, right? And they're like, well, yeah, but you might have some other offers. And I was like, I don't have any offers. You're my first offer. And they're like, well, you, you might want to wait a little bit. And I was like, okay. And then, <laughs> and then eventually, you know, you, you get some other schools. But around that time, um, there was an assistant coach from Notre Dame that came up. And he, my high school coach kind of allowed us to go in the office. And it was just uh, the, the, the college coach and I. And he said, you know, how would you like to attend the University of Notre Dame? And, and I said, I would love to, but my mom doesn't like to fly. <laughs> now, I'm in Chicago, and my high school literally is, nine, is 89 miles from the Notre Dame campus. Okay? Yes. So, literally, I live literally a 90-minute drive from Notre Dame. And he was like, what do you mean your mom doesn't like to fly? And I was like, well, there's no way my mom would fly to France to see me play. <laughs> And I know he was like, Frank, what are you talking? And I know he kind of looked at his chart and said, well, what's this kid's SAT, ACT score again? Because Notre Dame is in France. I was like, well, you guys got the hunchback guy in the church thing, right? Oh. And he was like, wow. But again, that was my, again, you know, I mean, in my neighborhood, no one went to college. If you graduate from high school, that was, that was a big deal, you know? So the idea of, of me going to, I mean, it just wasn't in the cards. I mean, it just did not happen. And so he left me um, a whole bunch of information about Notre Dame. And I was like, he kind of pat me on my back and said, yeah, I think I'll be talking to you later. You know, I'm like, really? There's no way. But then after that, I kind of learned everything about Notre Dame. And, you know, it was just one of those things. But the idea that, you know, you have this kid who lives 90 miles away, but knew absolutely nothing about Notre Dame. Sure. Was it important to play linebacker, the linebacker position that you were playing? Well, it was interesting because I, as I learned, you know, Dick Buckus went there, and then also there's a great linebacker for the 49ers who went to Purdue, Keena Turner. Yeah. He also went to, to Chicago Vocational as well. So I have this history of great linebackers. I'm like, hey, this is terrific. I'm going to be a linebacker. And I was a linebacker for like the first maybe three weeks of fall camp or four weeks of fall camp. And then, um, Lou Holtz was like, no, absolutely not. You're not a linebacker. I think there were like 50 linebackers he recruited, so there's no way I was ever going to play anyway. Yeah. So, and it was interesting because I also had a trip to Michigan planned. No. But I didn't, I didn't want to go to Michigan because I heard that Bo Schimblecker wanted to make me a nose guard. So I was like, no, there's no way I'll do that. And then Holtz, you know, and I'm <laughs> sure it was Holtz's plan, you know. He just didn't tell me. And then, lo and behold, the Holtz moves you to nose tackle for the Irish. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the biggest adjustment from linebacker to uh, from to nose? Well, I was fortunate enough because, I mean, I was a very slow linebacker, but a fast nose guard. And because I was only 6'1", you know, I was smaller than every lineman you, you could think of, you know, and. And, you know, I started at like 225 and I gained a whole bunch of weight. So the idea that I still had this quickness was, was to my benefit. But it's a huge transition. I mean, you, you know, not, not very many people can make it and, and be successful. But, you know, again, I was a slow linebacker, but I was a fast nose guard. So I, I kind of got, got out of a lot of trouble because I was so quick. We are speaking with Chris Zurich, college football legend for the University of Notre Dame. And going through each year, your freshman year, you didn't play, but you uh, got were on right. the practice field with the likes of Griffin, Morrison, right. Crouch, George Williams, 
Uh, did you treat practice like actual games? Uh, for me, I had to because, like you said, I didn't play at all my first year. So for me, you know, this is going to be my game day. Like, I think Wednesday was a hard day during the week. And Wednesday was my game day, you know, and, and this is and I, I pissed off a lot of the, 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 the first team offensive linemen. Oh, I bet, um, you know, Holtz was mad at me because I was making plays and, and they're like, dude, you know, you got to calm down. You know, you're a guy that doesn't play a lot. But I was 18. I didn't know. You know, I mean, and, and for me, I looked at it as like I'm the shortest guy out here. And if I got in front of you and try to take you on head to head you beat the crap out of me. You know, you're six, five, you're an offensive guard, you weigh 320 pounds, you know, you'll dominate me. So the only thing I can do is because I'm smaller and faster than you, I have to use that to my, to my advantage. And that's what I did my whole freshman year. Holtz was pissed. I was making plays. The guys were pissed at me, but you know, for me, Wednesday was my game day. Hey, it made made you stand out. And then going into your sophomore year, did that, did that full season, uh, your freshman year of practice prepare you both mentally and physically? Well, here's the thing that, I, and I didn't find this out until like literally maybe 20 years later or 15 years later when Holtz put this situation or this incident in, in one of his books. Like, so I, I knew nothing about this, but we had played in the Cotton Bowl my freshman year. Yeah, the Texas A&M. Right? And, right, exactly, exactly. And it was one of those situations where if you weren't a starter or you weren't like the first first or third first through third team then you went like on a later date okay so I was at home like most of the time and the whole team was up there because I wasn't playing I think I, I went up there like the last four days as opposed to like the last eight or, or, or nine days or whatever it is oh wow so yeah I kind of felt bad about that but then when I got there you know I was doing the kind of the same practices not as hard because we didn't have hands or anything but then after the game, so so we lost, and I kind of took it on on me that we lost because our offensive line got they, they really got their butt kicked, and I, I kind of felt that it was my responsibility because you know I, I didn't give them uh, the proper look, you know, to that whole week leading up to the up to the um, the Cotton Bowl, so I felt bad, you know, and I felt that I had let my team down. So after the game, I'm sitting there in tears in the locker room and no one else is crying. And, you know, I was upset in my locker and that was the end of it. Right. So, I mean, I didn't think anything of it. And 15 years later, one of my buddies is like, hey, I didn't know you cried at the Cotton Bowl. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, there weren't cell phones back book. then. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're right, exactly. I was like, well, it was in Holtz's book. I was like, what are you talking about? So he showed it to me, and I was like, whoa. And apparently what had happened was Holtz had felt that I was the only one that was passionate enough, that I cared enough, and I didn't even play it down the whole year, and I was crying and unhappy about the game. He actually went to the coaching staff and said, we got to find – we got to find 11 guys on defense, 11 guys on offense that has Chris's passion. I had no idea. And so they kind of looked in and they, they kind of knew that I was this passionate player, but you know, I, 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 I did not play it down my freshman year. So, I mean, I, I could have sucked, right? I mean, I could have been terrible, but they felt that they wanted to have someone 
who had my passion, who, who cared about my teammates, the fact that I didn't even play and I was so unhappy that we lost. So that I thought was an, it was an amazing tale. You know, it was, it was an opportunity for me to show the coaches that I really cared. And then after, after so going into my sophomore year, the first game I ever played was against Michigan. This was in 1988. Yeah, what was it like and running out of the tunnel at uh, Notre Dame Stadium for your first start? Exactly. In goal? I mean, it was the first start um, at Notre Dame. It was the first night game that they had, and we were playing Michigan, our our our, our arch rival, right? And there were 60,000 fans. I mean, I, the biggest crowd right. I played for before that was like maybe a hundred, maybe 125 at hmm. my high school. So I walk out there and I'm just like, I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> and I think I jumped off sides like about six times and I know Holtz was pissed, but somehow I had this kind of crazy, I had like 11 tackles and yeah, it was sack crazy. and a half uh, against yeah, Michigan. Yeah, it was, Did you go it in was, expecting to make such an impact? Not at all. Please, not at all. I mean, <laughs> and, and it was funny because one of Holtz's kind of the way he motivated you, he called me in his office and said, you know, hey, I just want to let you know that, you know, their center, Michigan center, is really talking a lot of stuff about you. And I'm like, what do you mean? Ah. He's like, you know, he's saying you're unproven. You know, no one's even ever heard of you before. You know, you're 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 just some young kid from Chicago who doesn't know anything about college athletics, blah, blah, blah. And I'm pissed. <laughs> and, of course, that was Holtz. You know, I'm sure there was no – I'm sure the center is not saying, oh, exactly, yeah. right, right. The center is not – the center who no one knows is not like, oh, well, that – they're – they're nose guard, Chris George. He's from Chicago. He doesn't know anything. He's a freshman. You know, I mean, you know, he's a sophomore. I mean, you know, of course he didn't say that, but I didn't know that. Yeah. And so I went out there. Not only did I have a chip on my shoulder already, I went out there pissed because this guy's talking crap about me. You know, and it worked. It was, yeah, it, apparently it did. <laughs> apparently it did. And 1988 was really special. Let's talk about the atmosphere going into the game against uh, number one Miami, known as the Catholics versus Convicts game. Yeah, that, well, it was interesting because, and and what Holtz did, and this is to his credit. I mean, this is an amazing situation. He was able to to bring together these young knuckleheads, like people like me. I, mean, I was a sophomore when we won it, and combine like these young this young talent with these these older guys who had used to be getting the crap beat out of them, right? Yeah. But they had great leadership. They just didn't have the talent. And so being able to mix, mix and match, I mean, you know, he had fifth year starters starting next to freshmen, starting next to sophomore. I mean, it was, it was great, but somehow he was able to kind of get this continuity going with these, this, this older leadership and these kind of young talented knuckleheads. And because we had, you know, we, we were just kind of, we were new to the game. We were young and naive. We didn't have that baggage of Miami beating the crap out of us. You know, yeah, and there were probably eight to ten guys on the team that host recruited from Miami anyway. So these, I mean, we we knew the guys on Miami's team. I mean, I was recruited by Miami. I mean, I knew Russell Maryland, and so there are a lot of players. I knew Mike Sullivan. Mike Sullivan and I played against each other in high school. So the idea that we would be intimidated by these guys wasn't even an issue because we felt we, we were their equals anyway. But now was our chance to prove it, and, and, and they kind of messed up in this regard. When we were we, we were uh, out on doing kind of our, our calisthenics and everything, they were finishing. They just ran through our line, 
well, you know, it's our house. You can't do that. So that's when we got this huge skirmish. And, you know, people were throwing fists and helmets. And I think there were a couple of chairs. The police had to separate us. So we were jacked. You know, we, we were just pumped up. Sure. And I'm sure Holtz made this great speech, but no one really, I don't remember it. A lot of people don't remember it. But the last thing he said was, you saved Jimmy Johnson's ass for me. Oh. And at that point, our locker room erupted. I think we probably even knocked Colts over trying to get out the, the get out the door. And after that, it was just this amazing talent where, you know, we finally kind of earned Miami's respect, I think. But for us, it was just we, we were playing people that we knew, you know, so we, we weren't intimidated by them by any means. Yeah. I mean, do you think that was one of the turning points where you where you knew you could beat anybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because they had won in they had won in '87. Um, they actually wound up winning in '89 as well. But you know, for us, it was you know, hey, you know, we're we're playing the the, the last year's national champion. They're ranked number one, and it kind of gave us that confidence. That we had a chip on our shoulder. Notre Dame. Everybody thought we were choir boys. You know, we wanted to go out there and prove ourselves. And that was one of the things where I think it's really kind of changed the momentum that Notre Dame had. I mean, somebody compared it to like a lot of the older guys who wear like khaki pants and polos to class. <laughs> and we were wearing like holy jeans and T-shirts, you know, and it was, again, and not, not saying that that's, that's a good or bad thing, but we just had a different mindset. Yeah, the lunch and pail so, attitude. Right, exactly, it, which, which Notre Dame hadn't had before. And so Holtz came in and brought all these guys' attitude. I mean, you even talk about, like, after our class, I mean, he brought in Jerome Bettis, I mean, Rick Meyer. I mean, these are guys who, like, had all this tremendous talent and were just phenomenal players. And so, you know, a lot of them were attracted to Notre Dame because of this this attitude, this, this kind of tough attitude that we had that Notre Dame hadn't had in the past. Yeah, you set the stage for the future. And in the, in the, the season finale that year, you face a second-ranked USC Trojans. Did you feel like with a win you were going to be making history? Well, and, and that was that was probably one of the most. I mean, although I mean you can imagine there, there were. I mean, I had a thousand amazing moments in college, but for me, it w- it really showed what a team meant. And, and I say that because mm-hmm. I was a sophomore. I was like 19 years old, and we were going in. We were ranked number one. USC was ranked number two. And the night before the game, Lou Holt sent our starting running back and our starting receiver home because they missed curfew. No. And they, were, they happened to be sophomores. And so these are, you know, these are our, our talented, this is this, this talented sophomore group. And we were all stunned. We, we had a team meeting, right? And I'll never forget it. And Holt kind of gave his little speech and everything. And he said, seniors, this is your team. And he walked out. And I'm like, what, what, what just happened? <laughs> he left. Holtz left. And these seniors got up one by one and talked about how important it was to be a team and blah, blah, blah. And, one of, and Frank Stams, who was the last guy to get up there, and he kind of gave us a little spin. And he said, if you don't think we can win this game, you need to leave this room now. And, I mean, I, I got chills just kind of talking about it right now. I mean, it was one of these moments where – I was like, wow, this is what I want to be a part of. Like, this is a team. This is a true team. There's no coaching here. These are just players. And we hold set home, like, two of our starters. And these seniors were like, it doesn't matter. We're a team. We can still compete. And we had one of the, the one of the best games we'd ever played. 
Well, then you go on the 89 Fiesta Bowl, uh, pitted Notre Dame against West Virginia for the national championship. Recently, you actually got together with some um, members of that group uh, to relive that game. What, what stood out when you were watching it over again? Well, that was awesome. Well, unfortunately, when, when you get a whole bunch of players together, they kind of they, they talk about uh, what they had for breakfast that game. And were, <laughs> no one was really talking about the game until like people like missed the tackle or, or, or Tony missed the pass or something like that. Then we would kind of give each other a hard time. But it was great kind of reliving the moment with them because, you know, we had never seen it together as a team. And I can't tell, like the last time I saw it, I think was like during the film session, like the following year, I think, oh, I think our coach played it or something like been that. that right? long. So, I mean, I had, I had never seen it. And so it was one of those until that time, but it was one of those things where, you know, it was great to kind of have everybody together and to kind of talk about it and to kind of, you know, relive that moment when you were, like I said, I was 19, I'm 51 now. So, you know, it's just, it was, back in time. it was great. Right. Exactly. But you know, it was one of those things where like, I enjoyed it because we were able to kind of watch it with, with kind of your teammates. And when, like you, know, you said, the cool. camaraderie with the team. So. Right. And, and it was funny because, you know, although, you know, we kind of lost into, we, we, we've, we've not been able to keep in touch and, you know, we've, we've had guys die and, you know, it's just, you know, life changed, life happens. Right. But when you, you get these 15, 20 guys together and kind of talk about something like that. It's like you never left. You know, the personalities are the same. It, it was it was really interesting. We're going to dive into a unique celebration of the national championship, the 1990 Orange Bowl. More amazing Lou Holtz tales, the legend of the Zorich half shirt jersey in the pink locker room. You're not going to want to miss out on that one. So join me next week for more with legendary Notre Dame player, Chris Zorich. Thanks for listening to the College Football Legend Podcast. Tweet your questions at The Sports Jesus. That's at The Sports Jesus. And join us next week because it will be legendary. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the five hour energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.